Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Join me today, we welcome back our friend, Lore Sworn's TJ Hafer. Hello, hello. And we've also got Kotaku's Luke Plunkett once again. Hello, everybody. Uh, so tonight we're going to be talking about Endless Space 2. Uh, the first time we've checked in on the game since our first show on it this past spring. Last month we put it to a vote of our Patreon backers to see which uh, recent game it was time for us to return to. And Endless Space 2 uh, narrowly won a, a pretty closely contested vote. Uh, it, was, it was a real photo finish. Uh, so, uh, Luke, I, I think I wanted to start with you because uh, you, you, I think, were very much on, on board with, with Endless Space 2 uh, when it originally came out. I think your review for Kotaku cited it as probably the best of the sort of, sort of current-gen crop of, uh, of 4Xs or Space 4Xs. And I'm curious uh, what, what really clicked with you about for this game, and what were some of your reservations that maybe Amplitude has addressed or, or failed to address uh, with updates in the subsequent time? Uh, my, the thing I really love most about Endless Space 2 is probably not going to be very surprising to most listeners because they're the things that are very similar to the things people love about Endless Legend, namely that Amplitude have sort of approached this genre that has a, a massive stigma in terms of its presentation and its its UI design and, and just its overall visual appeal to people and completely approached it from a, a cool, stylish way so that you can sit down with this game that is ostensibly a strategy game but it's this it's this gorgeous fast stylish looking experience as well as being something that is you know a really fundamentally sound strategy game in its own right so when i first reviewed the game for kotaku i was obviously you know i'm a big amplitude fan i love endless legend i loved playing the the early access beta stuff for endless space 2 i i really enjoyed the first game with the disclaimer that it um how am I going to put this? I almost approached it as a early access first release kind of iteration, mm-hmm. which is sort of a very similar way to a lot of these games these days where you, if everything from sort of Total Warhammer to Civ is you sort of get the the release when it comes out and you play it and you think this is cool and then you sort of start to see the the holes in the overall package and think, okay, there's expansions coming here that are maybe going to improve this or flesh this out or, or build on this. And and what I've got now is cool, but I'm sort of really looking forward to the stuff that comes down the line in 6, 12, 18 months and sort of adds to this or, or fleshes it out. So I really enjoyed the original game as it was. Um, you know, I obviously had issues with, you already mentioned diplomacy, um, the, the combat resolution as well, I'm not a fan of in the game, but I thought, you know, that stuff's the typical sort of thing that there can be a, a battlefield, a battlefield kind of a space battle expansion and a diplomacy expansion, that stuff can patch it out and, and hopefully sort of make that stuff better. And so when you, I didn't even know that there was a, a, a big content update for this game because I'd left it behind and we had the Christmas rush with all these other games. So I was playing other stuff. And so I thought, oh, cool, there's new stuff, Endless Space 2. I'm going to sit down and see what's changed and what's improved. And I read a really quick bullet list of what's changed. And the first thing that leapt out at me was, oh, diplomacy, excellent. Because I really didn't like the way diplomacy was presented in the first game. I sat down, I played the game and I really didn't notice much of, of an improvement or a change from what I didn't like about it. Yeah. My biggest problem with the diplomacy in Endless Space 2 is that it's a very lonely game. You tend to play the game sort of entirely focused on your own actions and your own planets, and the way that you view the rest of the galaxy and the way that you interact with the other factions is very minimal. And when it does, when you know other factions do reach out to you or want to communicate with you, it's very basic um, and it's very easy to miss and it's not always accurate and all, all kind of problems. And so the one thing I was hoping they would fix is that issue where in Endless Space 2 initially you would get the the prompt where someone would say, give me money or I'm going to go to <laughs> war with you. And it would just be a screen and there would be no there'd be no cue to sort of engage in diplomacy. There'd be no sort of more detailed list of what they want or what's going on. It'd just be this screen and you go, all right, that's great. And you'd close it and nothing would actually happen. And the second I noticed that was still happening, you know, in spite of this diplomatic update for the game, I was, I was so bummed out because, yeah, that is probably my biggest issue with the game. And to see it sort of still sticking around is a bit of a disappointment. Uh, now, TJ, you're, you're pretty new to this game. Uh, you, I think you, you were still sort of off in, in uh, pa- you're, well, you, you never really leave Paradox Land, uh, to be fair. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, but but what, did you, what did you make of this one? Yeah, so I I never played it prior to this big update, and I've played, I kind of crammed on it. I played about 25 to 30 hours with the new update, 
Um, so I'm not entirely sure how much of of it is new and how much of it is has been around since launch. I think I would actually agree with Luke that this is probably my favorite of the recent Moo likes um, as in terms of the ones I've played in the last few years as we've gotten such a big explosion of them recently. I'm very much with Rowan um, in, you know, his kind of rant the first time you guys talked about ES2 on the podcast that their space 4X needs to kind of get out of that master of Orion two rut that it seems to be in. Um, but in terms of games that fall into that rut, I, I think I've enjoyed ES2 the most. I do really like um, kind of the way political parties work, I think is, is interesting where, you know, different, different things you do will, at least if you're playing a, a non-authoritarian government will kind of shift power between these political parties and then they unlock different like government cards that you can you can slot in to get bonuses to specific stuff. Um, although I did have some reservations about that in terms of like researching certain technologies that are super essential, give support to one party or another. And it's it, I felt like, well, it's not like I'm not going to research this like it's going to give power to the militarist faction, but I need this technology just to protect the borders of my empire. So I guess I'm going to have a militarist government for a while, which I, I, you know, I can kind of see how that's yeah an interesting, an interesting play, but it didn't feel like I was really making a choice between, Oh, I'm just going to research all environmental techs and the environmentalists will stay in power. You know, I'm going to need better ships eventually. Um, I also, I, I definitely, got what Luke was saying about it feeling very lonely, which is funny because I've criticized Stellaris for being too crowded too quickly. Like the exploration phase doesn't last long enough. With Endless Space, it feels like it was a long time before I even ran into another major civilization. When I did, they were kind of just like, we would sit on opposite sides of the room and <laughs> do our own thing and, and hopefully not, you know, step on each other's toes. Um, but I did run into a lot of the like minor civilizations, which I thought that was kind of an interesting way to expand your borders is, you know, you get your rep up with them and then eventually they'll give you some kind of a quest and assuming you can complete it, which was not always the case. Um, they kind of come into your empire, but then they're going to change the political makeup yes. of your empire because you might be peaceful <clears throat> and then you annex like the crazy militarist, you know, robots or whatever. And then all of a sudden the support for the militarist party goes way up and you have to completely rethink your whole governmental strategy, which, you know, that I thought that was cool. I, I think they're, they're kind of like a progression of how uh, city states work in Civ five and Civ six. That is, it's pretty well designed overall. I think maybe it's a little too easy to get them to be annexed into your empire. But other than that, I really liked kind of, interacting with the minor powers i really like any 4x game that doesn't populate the world or the galaxy only with other empires that are starting from the same grounding and trying to achieve the same goals as you i like having these kind of minor entities that that uh start from a different place and don't necessarily have the goal of competing competing for global or galactic domination yeah i feel like um you know, coming back to this game, I think I was I was really excited because I had sort of assumed back when I played it in the spring that like, okay, there were some obvious bugs, uh, like mm -hmm. and, and like literal like there were some showstoppers uh, that that a bunch of us encountered on that original show. But then there were things like exactly what Luke was talking about a moment ago, where you get these uh, endless like messages from <laughs> endless messages. Uh, you get these <laughs> you get these constant like pings from AI factions. And there was no way to begin diplomacy with them because uh, you didn't have the proper diplomatic tech, uh, I, I guess. So you couldn't you could not mm -hmm. talk to them, which uh, is a novel way of representing uh, politics. Uh, certainly, uh, just never learn the language, and uh, and nothing can ever happen. Uh, but I had sort of assumed that, you know, after after that spring, after the game was new progress would be pretty much like 
if they were making all these updates, it was going to be a matter of uh, quashing these bugs and then addressing some of the oddities that the uh, diplomatic system in particular uh, generated. And I think where I'm at right now is the things I admire about Endless Space 2, I think I admire as much or more. Uh, but I'm also starting to realize the ways in which its shortcomings might be a little more deep-seated or foundational uh, than than I originally understood. And I think the... Um, I think the loneliness aspect of it is, is is sort of stemming from that because this is a game that does very much feel, unless I'm going out of my way to push the game in a different direction, Endless Space 2 feels like it wants to turn into multiplayer solitaire. Uh, yes, we're all racing for different endgame conditions. You can sort of see what the other factions are up to and what they're gunning for. But for the most part... I don't really care what other factions are doing that much. Like, it's more about me plotting my own path to my chosen endgame condition. And it doesn't feel like Amplitude have introduced a lot of friction points that can open up between you and other factions uh, on the way to those to those locations. Like, there, there are certainly, like, contests, right? Like... Uh, in addition to there being sort of galactic wonders where there can only be one in the galaxy, there's also little like challenges like who can create the most uh, profitable trading company uh, in the galaxy. And that sort of puts you in a contest with the other, uh, you know, industrial and mercantile empires. That's kind of fun, but it's almost just like, you know, you're, you're setting a lap time almost, but it's not the race. Uh, the race is to the end of the game. And it's just it's it's frustrating to me that like even at this stage after the game's been out like nine months, it still feels very much like endless space uh almost prefers to be a slightly abstract and solitary uh progress management game yeah well so the the interesting thing is I don't know if this is something that happens every game or if it's it's something that was like an event that triggered in this specific game, because I only got to play one game up to like the very end. Um, but there was, there's this kind of event that kind of divides the galaxy yeah. into two sides based on whether you, you want to, you know, awaken the ancient race or kind of keep things how they are. And like you all, you have to race to be the first to colonize certain planets. And when that fired, I was like, this is really cool. Like, that's one of the things that I felt like Endless Space does well is it almost feels like there's like a galactic game master that's mm -hmm. kind of throwing interesting challenges at you along the way. And it's like, OK, so I'm going to, you know, I'm I'm going to join the status quo faction. I'm going to try to, you know, not have the ancient, you know, whatever super race be awakened. But then it it's like I, I don't feel like it it evolved into what it's supposed to be. I don't feel like it evolved into like this. Everybody's taking sides and fighting, you know, for their chosen thing. It was like, I'm going off looking for these hidden planets. And then every once in a while, I'll get a notification that the other team discovered one of the hidden planets, but I never actually came into conflict with the other side, which was the weird thing. Like I ended up winning a science victory before it even mattered, which was kind of weird and illustrative of exactly what we're talking about, where it, it really seems to skew towards being a single player game where there are some other factions pursuing goals, but they're kind of designed to not necessarily get in your way. Luke, I'm curious, what did you make of like, where are you at with the quest right now? Uh, because this was a feature I loved in the endless space too. And having played like, sorry, Endless Legend. And having played a lot of Endless Legend, I feel like it still mostly holds up as far as the way the quests work and the way that each different quests are generated for each faction. Uh, with Endless Space 2, I'm falling less in love with it. I find the quests in Endless Legend 2 far less appropriate, almost. Yeah. Um, the the way that the that the world and the maps are designed and the way that you develop your technology and, and the things that it's asking you to complete, 
doesn't feel anywhere near as natural as this idea of, okay, I've got this hero with a crossbow that's going to venture out into the woods and find this ancient temple and go into it and, and kill a demon or something. That this, the, the way that it tells you to just, okay, visit this planet and, and complete this task. I mean, it's interesting and it is something that a lot of other games might not do, but I find myself very rarely being bothered to actually complete them i find myself doing the only ones i'll really do often because i get a a a more uh clearly set and tangible reward from them are the uh the minor faction ones so that they join your faction otherwise things like the academy and and things like that where it says oh the first person to find the academy it's like i don't know the way this map and this world is is presented to me i've got no bearing on on how big it is or where i might explore next or or whatever because everything's just a series of interconnected dots um yeah it really doesn't compel me to go out and and adventure and explore like Endless Legends, you know, obviously shrouded, but more sort of tangible space did. Yeah. Well, and like in Endless Legend, like um, each tile has a really strong look to it, right? And so like visually things read as very exciting or attractive to you, right? Like you uncover, you know, a perfectly situated valet uh with you know like uh, like on tundra or something you're like oh my goodness this is this would be a fast growing science wonderland uh i must have it and that's really exciting uh endless space 2 feels like uh yeah th- like the geography feels like it matters a great deal less the things that are out there uh and the academy is a good example the academy is supposed to be sort of this mythic place like all the heroes in the game are graduates of the academy uh basically in the fiction of of the endless series uh you're all inheritors of a race that was once ruled by this like you know you know the standard ancient super race of precursors uh the endless and they left behind uh a lot of stuff including basically uh you know dune spice uh the dust yeah (laughs) and the academy is kind of where people go to get all jacked up on dust and then learn a bunch of magical abilities and become like undying uh super bangs okay cool that seems like it would be a neat and mythical place to to find and encounter but in endless in, in in endless space it's basically a uh you know, it's it's an emporium. Uh, you you just it's 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 where it's it's rent a hero, uh, and yeah. and so like yeah, someone finds the academy, but there, it never feels like that matters, right? It doesn't feel like somebody has, uh, you know, basically seized control of the space Vatican or anything like that. Nor does no. it affect my decision making. Like I'm look, I'm still going to research the same tech to hire heroes uh, off the market. Uh, or or get uh, different heroes on offer for my own faction. Um, I'm still going to do that. Like I, whether I found the academy or not, that's still going to happen. Yeah. So who cares? Yeah, wh- whether or not I find it or someone else finds it, it's more than like taking control of something meaningful. It's more like has the store opened yet? Yeah. Like I need to, I need to pop out and grab some heroes. Is is the academy open yet? Yeah. Oh no, oh, man, okay, that's great. I, I need to Our wait neighborhood's getting an academy. Uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Um, yeah, and like I think a lot of I think this this problem dogs a lot of quests is in that the other thing. So having played a bunch of games now, quests that were sort of exciting in the spring, I'm seeing different like you know new ones or or seeing them again, and they're getting a little bit less. Uh, appetizing i i guess like the the academy the end game crisis of the academy does not feel like it's been resolved does not feel like an actual crisis uh it's just a you know game of it's it's an easter egg hunt uh basically like everyone races their ships out there and and like you said tj it doesn't feel like people are actually competing uh you don't even have to do anything you just get a ship to the to the ping on the map and, and and that's pretty much the ball game, but it doesn't feel like apocalyptic at all, which which you'd hope for 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 an yeah, end game scenario. 
I think that's the the underlying problem with most of the things that we have problems with in this game. And to be, to be fair, they dogged me in a little bit in Endless Legend as well, is that Amplitude seemed to have a very good grasp of user interface, of getting good artists in to do all the character art and the world art and making sure that they've got these systems running. But there's that piece of, of actually injecting the game with some sense of character and some sense of, of being a part of the world that you're controlling or playing through that isn't there. Uh, I think a lot of these games, you know, Civ's an obvious example, but they, it's one thing to sort of know that, okay, I need to advance my tech this way. I need to, to fight a battle this way, but you need to sort of feel like you're fighting against actual characters and part of an actual world that you can see and that you care about and that you need to feel like is being impacted by what you're doing and what's happening around you. And, you know, I mentioned this before that, that and all you did as well, where on Endless Legend you can see the ground and you can scope out the place. In Civilization you see the world around you and the various, um, you know, climates and, and where each nation is actually lying and how their cities are situated. And when someone talks to you, they've got different facial animations. Sometimes they're angry, sometimes they're happy. I find so many of these things where you, in Endless Space 2 that we're talking about where you don't want to, I don't feel like completing the quest, I don't feel like doing diplomacy, are all sort of related to the same thing. I'm not feeling that urge to do something because all I'm seeing is the systems. All I'm seeing is this game where, all right, I've got, a certain technology path I can pursue. I've got a certain build order I can pursue. And there's nothing extraneous around that that's sort of making it more than just a matter of juggling numbers and, and pushing sliders around. Yeah, I, I think I may have liked Endless Legend a little bit more on that score than, than you it, did. Yeah, it certainly, it certainly does. Endless Legend does a much better job of that, I think maybe just because of its setting yeah. um, and its design. But uh, yeah, Endless Space 2 definitely suffers more from a lack of it. Well, so I think like with with Endless Legend, um, the world felt more dangerous. It, it felt less tamed, and and part of that was just thematic, right? Like you know you had, and, and they might have nerfed it, uh, but you know in in the initial drafts of the game, uh, you had you know blizzards rolling in uh, and basically shutting down activity on the map for extended periods. Uh, you had a lot of like really cool, uh, you know, minor factions weren't just like content to stand pat they would come and uh you know wreck your fledgling empire uh you know if you didn't if you didn't interact with them positively uh they would sort of turn into monsters or barbarians and would become an issue and some of them could be like with each age in the game they would sort of get stronger and you'd need a strong hero and the way to do that was like go and complete quests. So there was this sort of heroic fantasy model that you were following in Endless Legend. In Endless Space, uh, I don't feel like there's as much incentive to make my heroes uh, to run out and get a lot of experience for my heroes. Like they're just, it's fine if I just leave them as governors of a system. Uh, they've all got enough abilities that make them effective in that role that, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're as effective being governors as they are being combat leaders. Uh, experience is generally plentiful enough that you can, you know, have a hero uh, or two that, that fills whatever needs come up. Uh, and eventually they're, they're pretty much good at whatever role. Uh, so it's not even like your choices really matter because by the end of the game, your veteran heroes are basically capable of doing everything. Um, but then I think the, the 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 really the really big problem is in Endless Space Two. I think the competition or the threat on the map is supposed to be other factions, but you don't really have a relationship with them, and they're not really that interested in you. Um, nor do I feel like because Endless Space 2 is so interested in letting you sort of guide your own progress and sort of structure the 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 structure the victory you're building, uh, structure your game plan. It wants to empower you to do that. And it doesn't seem to want you to encounter too much like external friction on your way to doing that. But that also means that they've included a lot of ways for you to not care about things like territorial expansion or control. Like, there are so many terraforming techs uh, and colonization mm -hmm. techs 
that like in no time at all, you can basically, you know, early in the game, you can colonize a bunch of different planet types, no restrictions there. And then late in the game, you can turn every faction, uh, sorry, every, every planet into like paradise uh, for your people. There's no, there's mm-hmm. no restriction there. And I think that ends up hurting. Cause like, I see other factions like jump on good systems and take useful territory. And I'm like, oh, that's too bad. And then I click a <laughs> button on the tech web and I'm like, I guess I'll just colonize that barren rock. That's just as good. Yeah. It seems like there's there's a balance to be struck somewhere because when I was uh when I was reviewing the the Master of Orion remake that came out recently. It seemed like if you played that on the standard difficulty, any AI faction you met would be at your throat like pretty quickly after you ran into them. Um, whereas, you know, with Endless Space, like you said, it's it's rather than driving conflict, it's giving you every possible opportunity to not ever have to get into conflict with other factions, which is kind of counterintuitive to the very like core concept of like a 4x game i feel like i mean you should have that option for sure to to play tall and to play pacifist but it shouldn't be something where the kind of the default assumption is that you're going to do that and that the other factions are going to be totally okay with you doing that i mean even if you're playing like a tall science or a culture civ in civ 5 or civ 6 you know you kind of have that pressure at the end where the AI realizes you're about to win and they, they're like, all right, we don't want that. So we're going to try to stop you. Um, the other thing is when, when we're talking about sort of these, these games like endless legend and like Civ, where you have like these tiles that are meaningful and you look at them and you kind of instantly know, you know, this is going to be a great spot for this type of city, or this is going to be a great spot to farm this type of resource. It really makes me realize that Space 4X games kind of too much take for granted the idea that space is big and empty, and so that's what makes sense, and we should just roll with it. I feel like, that you know, if you're talking about Endless Space 2 specifically, you, you have these lanes between systems where your ships are just kind of in limbo for a certain yeah. amount of times as they're, as they're traveling between systems, and I really think that to get to the the sort of place that a game like Civ or a game like Endless Legend is, they need to make that in-between system space matter more. Like maybe put, you know, have an asteroid tile or like a nebula tile or something instead of just having all of this more or less meaningless dark space that takes up effectively 90% of the map. And then, you know, you have these little points that are of importance that that you're competing over. Yeah, I sometimes wish the game had a a better understanding, well, not a better understanding, but that, like, if you, the, the last game I played was as the, um, I forget their actual name, the Empire. The, yeah, the, the, the United guys, Empire. The United Empire, yeah. Yeah. And so their, and their intro video, which is amazing. Oh, so good. Sort of, en- sort of ends with that shot of the, the, the fleet sort of flying off through the stars. And it's the whole game sort of, and the genre is built around this idea that, space is vast and endless and you're going out to explore space and colonize new planets and it's supposed to be the the biggest adventure you could possibly undertake and then you get into the game and it's actually far more constrictive than even you know the the, the most ancient eras on civil or endless legend where you can go anywhere on the map you go you go slowly but you can go anywhere suddenly you're in space and yet in space you're constrained on these little railroad tracks that only bounce between planets you can't actually venture out anywhere else and so you're actually finding yourself sitting down to play this huge space adventure and then feeling like oh man i'm actually very very constricted and this bums me out because i'm not exploring space at all i'm at the whims of whoever designed this map to be so like pinpointed between point a and point b and this is the only place i can go i sometimes feel like i wish these games had more of a a star wars approach or, or a different approach entirely to that where you could just hyperspace into another system with a with a range limit or something like that and not be bound to these just yeah i'm just in short i'm sick of the railroads in these games it's been like 20 30 years and i wish someone could think of a better way to 
to handle moving between star systems than that. Um, so one of the, the there were two major changes uh, of of late. They were meant to address some of these problems. One was to create a little more danger on the map and make that empty space and, and those railroad lines uh, a little more exciting. And the solution to that was piracy. Um, yeah, and <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> No. Okay, so we're 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 generally the I I I, I kind of liked it. I like it in principle, I, but the I, execution's terrible. It's it's yeah, it's made I think it worse. The pirates in this game are terrible. Yeah. yeah, having giving them having where they used to just float around the map in these fleets that were always a little bit too powerful for you was always annoying. Um, the the thing they have now, where they're in a system and they automatically evolve based on time, is is super stressful and yeah. Also, just it also breaks that. Again, it's something else that breaks the feeling of being part of this world because here you are, you're supposed to be part of a huge space-spanning empire <laughs> researching technology and, like, these pirates living in an asteroid are advancing faster than you are. Like, it's, it's yeah. bizarre. Yeah, like, even when I did a militarist playthrough, it's like my biggest threat is not, like, these minor empires that I'm interacting with or even, like, the other major empires. Like, it's the pirates. The pirates are my largest existential away, threat yeah. which it's it's a balancing act to be sure but i feel like any type of like pirate or barbarian faction in a turn-based strategy game should exist as something to harry your borders it shouldn't feel like these guys are going to destroy my entire grand fleet without blinking and then i'm just going to be super dead at that point like I guess there's some precedent that with, you know, barbarians overrunning the empire is kind of a a trope, but the fact that I'm not worried about the other super advanced empires on my borders, but I'm like super worried because I didn't act fast enough to kill this pirate haven and it's just been building up and building up and building up ships until the largest fleet on the entire map is a pirate yep. fleet like that that's a little little yeah, just again, it, it undermines that thing we were talking about earlier where you you feel like you're free to explore all these different ways of playing the game but the first two games i played last week going back to this expansion i had to instantly go uh, like super hardcore military yep. to build up um fleets straight away i had no other option because if i didn't i had two pirate systems sort of right in the midst of my empire you know, I had four of my own systems and two pirate systems, and it was just murdering me. I thought, well, I, I did want to be ecological and just do some cool <laughs> science stuff, but I, yeah. I guess I can't do that. Well, if if the pirates are this big and this advanced, I should at least be able to enter diplomacy with them. <laughs> like, at that point, aren't they just another empire? Like, shouldn't we be able to start making treaties or something? Like, maybe they should be like, oh, yeah, we have the biggest fleet in the galaxy. I guess we're uh, we're an empire now. Well, I mean, this is the weird thing. Like, the pirates are fearsome because their systems uh, spawn fleets at a set rate. So every, like, six turns, I think, after a point, they're spawning a new fleet. But those fleets, like, generally follow a template, right? Like, late-game pirate fleets, mm-hmm. like, are pretty advanced, and it's, like, uh, three small ships and two medium to big ships. Uh, and 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 that's kind of how they roll. Uh enemy uh sorry, competing factions don't build as aggressively or fearsomely. They don't structure their fleets as reliably dangerously. Uh you'll you'll encounter even in the late game uh just absolute trash stacks wandering around. Mm-hmm. Uh yep. which is a bit of an issue. But the piracy thing, um yeah, so in terms of, I, I kind of like it because it's forcing me to play a more military game when my tendency was always to be very passive. Mm-hmm. But the pirates are dying so hard that by the time I've like finally eliminated the pirate threat, as you've said, like, so because this this is where it ties back into how endless uh, space twos technology works each tier you advance in the tech web um so it's concentric rings and it's divided into quarters and each each ring is significantly more difficult to achieve and requires much greater like scientific investment and resources to reach in order to take down the pirates reliably to like exterminate them you have to go pretty much into like late game military tech um Mm -hmm. 
uh, particularly because of the way that to start out with, you can only have very small fleets. Uh, and those fleets can't really like have that many ships and that much firepower, which means the pirates get really difficult to deal with. So to shut it down, you basically got to advance both down uh, the imperialism tech tree and then also like the warfare and ship design uh, tech tree. So actually, mm-hmm. you've gone into pretty serious tech uh, on two uh, on two parts of the the tech web. By the time I've eliminated those pirates, without really wanting to be, I have turned into the Empire, no matter who I'm playing. Like, it, does, it mm-hmm. literally doesn't matter. By the time the last pirate base has been, like, killed, I'm basically, like, standing on the deck of the Imper- the Super Star Destroyer, like, you know, Executor. <laughs> and, like, well, now what do I do with this thing? I'll guess I'll point it at another faction and just steamroll them. Because, <laughs> uh, like, because again, the way this game sort of works is, you know, once you built it, like the, those sunk costs are are pretty significant. By the time you've killed the pirates, you're probably tougher than a lot of the AI, AI factions. So, you know, go for it. Um, by by the time I killed the pirates, I was definitely tougher than all the AI factions. Like that was the largest military threat I ever faced. Was this pirate yeah. system I let sit around too long? For like, from there, I was like, all right, I'm ready to conquer the galaxy now i guess yeah it's it's a problem especially because as you alluded to earlier tj um and i, I really like like it's a clever it's a clever idea and and luke you you brought it up in your original review it's a it's a neat thing but like politics evolve in this game based on what you do the game is sort of watching the choices you make and how you're sort of evolving your empire but there is kind of a perverse effect here where if the game is pushing you hard toward like military technology, even if the intention is just to be defensive, right? Like I need to parry a rival on my border or I need to like finally exterminate these pirates. By the time you reach the point where you can be secure in having that military, um, you've all become raging fascists. Like the investment in the, that technology <laughs> and those the construction of those ships has turned your populace into like... Uh, you know, just slavering warmongers, um, <laughs> and it's a little bit—it's a little bit of a weird thing. Uh, I, I'm finding because it's like the system that I like, the politics system, is kind of railroading me into evolutions that don't really feel like the game has earned or has like forced on me. You you know what? I feel like coming to Endless Space 2 right off the tail of of playing, you know, a lot of Civ 6, a lot of Stellaris, I feel like we need to enshrine as part of the strategy game orthodoxy, single tech slot, like just it's antiquated to me at this point. The way, you know, Civ 6 separates it into tech and civics are like separate things that have kind of separate paths. Uh, you know, Stellaris has, you know, the, the physics, society, and industry are separate research. And then I, I get I get into in, uh, Endless Space 2, and it's like I'm making a decision between, like, being able to build battleships or, you know, better farming. I feel like it's it gets to be, like, this kind of overwhelming, sprawling you know, making choices that don't really make sense that I should be having to choose between these two things. You're talking about having to gear your entire empire towards military just to fight off the pirates. I'm starting to come around to to a feeling that, like, military-industrial complex stuff should not be taking up the same resources that are allowing you to progress your society and your kind of domestic and you know maybe there should be a you know some sort of like slider decision you make which of those you want to focus more on but i'd like to be able to at least somewhat be progressing my farm tech at the same time that i'm developing you know new ships to defend myself with and i feel like that strategy games overall would benefit more if we get away from the single tech slot or the even the single tech resource especially in a game like this where each faction has such a wildly different setup that at least kind of makes sense in civilization because people are people we're all on the same planet we're all sharing Mm -hmm. some of the same traits if i'm the 
the super peaceful isolationist tree people in this game. Um, <laughs> I don't want to be building battleships. I would rather have my own, almost a hearts of iron approach where I'd like my own tech tree for that faction. Yeah. yeah. That is sort of based, or, that is based more around doing stuff. Like if I choose to be a mage in an RPG, I'm going to expect that the, the things available to me and the things I'm going to do in the game are going to go down that road. If I choose the, the peaceful tree people in endless space too, I would hope that, you know, it would be cool to just have something more specific to that for me to research and play like, instead of having the same open spread for everything, which ends up just breaking the, the immersion in the game because the tree people probably aren't going to be interested in building giant battleships. Um, and the super fascist human military empire, people probably aren't going to be as interested in some of the more, you know, peaceful research, spiritual things as some of the other factions are. So yeah, maybe that's the answer. Maybe giving, if you're going to hyper-specialize the backstory of each faction, maybe you can specialize their tech trees as well. Yeah, there are like some uh, like faction-specific techs, but not nearly enough. And and the, the tendencies probably aren't enforced enough, which is weird because it feels like they're trying to hedge their bets into not forcing every faction to like play towards just one like victory condition uh the way mm-hmm. some of like civ 5 factions felt like really if you weren't going for one specific victory then you're probably playing them wrong uh but the problem is i think this game might still have that problem like if you're playing the so if you're playing the Safans, uh who are yeah. the galaxy's like complete like you know kids with their first chemistry set uh science geniuses of the galaxy, you have to really try hard not to win the science race uh, because you have so many advantages built in uh, for, for research as that race. Uh, so that becomes a bit of a problem. Uh, I want to talk to talk about diplomacy. Cause the, the, again, the update that just hit was galactic statecraft. Um, and I think like, this is a place where my reservations about this game's diplomatic system got, worse like before it just felt like this before it felt like the system kind of worked it's just that somebody forgot to turn it on for the for the vast majority of the game like yep. and and now you think oh no maybe they just actually have an entirely broken system oh no this is bad yeah they can't fix this yeah, yeah a little bit uh because like i found dealing with the, the ai really discouraging like all the menus are there. Like, it looks like a functional diplomatic system. But, like, trying to get on good terms with an AI just seemed like I would have a faction on my border. They weren't warlike. There there was nothing. But we were pretty much equal strength. There was opportunities for trade, exchange. And they just wanted nothing to do with me. Like, absolutely zero. And the only way to get, like, positive reactions to offers was basically to like pack in these ridiculous bribes uh, where it was basically like, how about a peace treaty and my firstborn and all my people's <laughs> wealth from the previous, like, you know, gathered millennia and the, and the AI was yeah. like, eh, maybe. And it made it really easy to go back to that multiplayer solitaire game. Because, like, if every interaction is sort of this, like, you're trying to spoon feed the AI a good deal. Um, yeah. You're just going to you're just gonna say to hell with it at a certain point. Yeah. And the, the, the update has stuff. I know there is stuff in it. <laughs> There's the, the alliance system in particular is, is interesting on paper. But what what holds it back is that there is, you know, and the alliance system works by... Basically, the longer you are allied with somebody, the more sort of perks and features you can unlock with that alliance down the line. So it's basically rewarding you for for making diplomatic contact and holding it. But the the problem is that there is still you still don't want to make that initial contact, either because it's too difficult or the game's too lonely or or whatever. It's like, oh, I know this alliance system is beneficial down the line, I guess, maybe, but like I don't need it. I don't, I don't I don't want it because talking to this guy these guys are irrational these guys don't answer me properly I seem to always be at a massive disadvantage in every single negotiation I go into and I don't know what system oh, that's God. based so, on Yeah the, okay we um, have the pressure system 
which it yeah. just feels like I don't understand it. I don't either. Fundamentally, like it feels like this really Rube Goldbergian uh, device to. It feels like it's meant to exist as a stick to punish factions that do not play nice. Uh, as as a matter of fact, uh, so that like when pressure is at neutral, no side has the upper hand in in any negotiation. What that upper hand means, I don't really know. But you get a bar that says pressure is going one way or the other, and if the pressure goes really far in, toward one extreme, you start getting the ability to make demands. And if a faction has enough pressure, which this game seems seems to interpret as um, like the moral upper hand in some ways, right? So like uh, if somebody has been like pressing on your borders and you say like get the hell away from borders and they say no, you exert greater pressure on them and I, I believe and and the and the and the bar goes farther in in their direction and eventually get the ability to make like uh meaningful demands i guess but people can still refuse it's not like like it's this really baroque system that i don't really understand and doesn't fundamentally like seem to impact the ai's tendency to say piss off every time you make requests like it's it is this bizarre thing and a lot of the pressure stuff seems to like uh refer to your sort of the galactic opinion of your empire sort so sort of like the way um you take like a infamy hit in the paradox games uh mm-hmm. if if you behave badly on the international stage but in those games that's intimately connected with your standing with the other ai factions and uh you know it immediately uh, and, and it also makes it easy to target you for a whole variety of like diplomatic payback. There is no community of nations in Endless Space 2 in that same way. And so like even right. if the game is referring to this idea that like, oh, because you've consistently been a dick to your neighbors, uh, gl- the galactic opinion is very poor towards you. There's no structures in the game yeah. to give repercussions for that. Well, and that's the other thing is like it, it. That's another reason why I feel like I never really need to make alliances. Is because it, it's like what who's like who's going to threaten me? Like who's going to be other than the pirates? <laughs> you uh, know, the Horatio why would I need? You. Yeah, like who, like who's going to be strong enough to you know come after me that I'm going to need to you know create these like webs of alliances and maybe this is somewhat a product of how few meaningful powers there are and how, you know, non-scaled they are in this type of space 4X game where there's, there are only going to be a handful of, you know, of powers yeah. overall that are, are going to be acting towards these goals. And, you know, maybe, <laughs> and, and most of them will only border two two other powers because of the way right. the map is structured. Right. You, you know, you don't get these kind of like webs where you're you're making these decisions in, in, you know, a game like EU4, like, all right, I need to pick my allies really carefully based on who my rivals are, who their rivals are, what kind of wars they might drag me into, what kind of, you know, which of my rivals they are going to agree to follow me into war against and which ones they're going to sit out because they actually like these guys. Um, you know, in a, in a game that only has, I, I don't know what the maximum is in, in Endless Space 2. I think it's like, what, 16 or 12 yeah. or something. Is, but it starts to get lame because you, you start getting other, like, repeat factions. Yeah, re, yeah. if you don't want repeats, it's like 12 maybe. Um, or even less than that. Y- yeah, it it doesn't create this community of nations you're talking about. This kind of complex diplomatic uh you know web uh there there are the minor factions but it seems like those are pretty much they exist to get absorbed kind of up yeah up for grabs like there there's never going to be a a moment of you know meaningful diplomacy between a minor faction and a major faction you you exert influence on them and then you do their quest and then they get you know absorbed into your empire it's basically a way for pacifists to 
expand faster from what I can tell. Uh, you know, I've never had war declared on me by a minor faction, nor do I think I would care if they did. So, it yeah, it's... Yeah, oh, no, ahead. it's... It's ended up in it, like, the only place I've, I've found, um, not so much with the diplomatic system, but with uh, minor factions at least, uh, I have had interesting things where, like, it's cool when you start absorbing multiple minor factions and they start changing the makeup of your empire in ways you have to start considering. Yeah. Like, I have ended up in situations where I have had really, like, malcontent corners of my empire because, like, for whatever reason, those planets are full of, uh, you know, w like, whatever the minor faction version of the tree people is, right? Like, and all mm -hmm. they want to do is be, like ecologists and pacifists and hang out and be cool. And I'm like, that's great, but I need to deal with these pirate nests. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we're all building death stars now. Uh, that's what we do here. <laughs> and then it's cool. Cause like half my empire is like, well, the hell with that. Uh, and, but they don't have the numbers to take part in the government. So it's like, they all become the greens and so it's it's like you know forty percent of your empire is like the green party, uh, but the problem is your your empire still only recognizes the the uh, the, the 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 biggest factions, um, and so the, if 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 those other, if those people don't feel represented in the government, you you've got a big problem. That stuff can be cool. These are ways that like endless space points toward, I think it's real strengths. And places it, mm -hmm. it 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 can go to evolve uh, in satisfying ways. I'm really concerned. Like the state of this game is, it does not feel like anyone here feels like this game has gotten stronger meaningfully. No, because the like I said initially, you hold out hope that these expansions and updates add to and, and flesh out a game, and all this update has sort of done is is make you worry that the things that you find the shortfalls you find in this game maybe can't be fixed or, or are unable to be fixed on a systems level or, or something. It's just made us look at it closer and be, I'll be like, Oh no, this was meant to get better. And it's, it's <laughs> not. And some, in some ways it's made it worse. Please take the pirates out of the game immediately. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm in the, um, soften the pirates, uh, pirates. Yes. Uh, maybe they, maybe they can be a little bit less piratey. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's the things I still really admire about this game is in the mid to late game, for instance, when strategic resources really start mattering. Um and there's certain really useful buildings that you just or or ships uh that you literally like cannot construct unless you have a significant stockpile of a major strategic resource. And that stuff uh, it is cool to be halfway down the path toward a victory and realize like, oh, God, I, I, it gets really hard from here because I actually don't have the material to build the stuff I need to like sort of hit the next level. And that's really cool because like that stuff has sent me running toward the diplomatic screen and had me like really aggressively courting uh, an alliance so that I could get on good terms with some people who had useful uh, strategic resources, uh, which was which was cool. Like that sort of changed the direction of my game. Or it has pushed me into like, um, you know, doing a snap invasion of someone who's just sitting on a boatload of uh, like antimatter. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, I need that. I need that antimatter for my labs. So you got to go. Uh, those are cool places where that that solitaire angle forces me to interact with with other empires and i think that's still kind of where the game is at its best is you know you're sort of sitting there developing your faction and uh you know steering sort of navigating the markets and uh you know the the uh you know landscape of natural resources you're trying to navigate all that all that to victory but the problem is the AI isn't really playing along with you or it, does, it doesn't meaningfully interact most of the time. And uh, they've yeah. not gotten closer on that. 
Well, the other thing I do want to speak out in in favor of is I do, although I, I don't think the combat resolution is great, I do like the kind of tactic card system that you get in the sense that, you know, you, you use technology not only to unlock new ships and like new lasers and shields and stuff, but you also use it to unlock new tactics and kind of the restrictions of which tactic cards you have inform how, you know, how you design your ships and vice versa. I actually did kind of enjoy yeah. that extra layer, whereas in most Space 4X games, it's just design the best ships and then send them and go. In this, it's like, well, I don't have a lot of tactics cards that worked well with, you know, short range skirmish type of ships. So I'm going to, you know, build all my ships out to be kind of beam snipers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I found that kind of an interesting twist on that. Though I will say you made a bunch of beam snipers and that feels right now like it's really overpowered uh, because the pinch beam has no damage <laughs> drop off. And so, hell yeah, like I build, yeah, all my ships are energy based too. Uh, yeah. Because they all get that upgrade that get, does 20% more damage. Uh, so even there, I kind of wonder uh, if it's if it's all balanced <laughs> correctly. Uh, so, so to wrap up though, um, you know, I think the spring, I was kind of where you were at, Luke, where I was like, this is, Man, if you just want, like, a classic-style Space 4X, like, you know, this is it. This is, this, is, this is about as good as that space gets right now. It's, uh, it's a great example of the genre. I'm not entirely sure I feel the same way anymore. Uh, like, this revisit is, has left me questioning that a bit more. Yeah, it's, it's revisiting Endless Legend... As, as updates and expansions came out for that game sort of made you fall in love with it more and more as you explored yes. its systems. Because it's often, it's often really handy to revisit a game six or 12 months later once the initial sort of luster has worn off. And, yeah, I guess we're all in agreement that doing that in this game has had the opposite effect where we've sort of, instead of getting a greater appreciation of some of the things that are running under the hood or, or some of the ideas they've had, it's actually kind of exposed a lot of shortcomings yeah. um, in the game. Well, here's Stellaris as a major. Like, who's better? Yeah, <laughs> it, it has a major update coming. Uh, of course, it's it's to rip up the, the free travel, space travel, uh, and to go to right. railroads again. So, uh, so who the hell knows? Um, I think you mentioned it at the very start, Rob, where you said these games are, are still held hostage to the original Master of Orion sort of ideology, and I think that's probably the the thing running through this whole podcast is that we've basically been talking about problems that we have with endless space too, but half of these problems seem to be issues that you could easily say affect a number of other space four X games as well, where they've just, we're playing the same game with a slightly different flavor to it, you know, for 20 or more years yeah. now. Um, and they, they keep falling into the same traps and we've had some innovations along the way. Like, even if Endless Legend 2 is restricted to like its writing and its presentation more than anything else. But yeah, we're still waiting for something to really take that idea of exploring and colonizing space and actually give us a more modern or, or fleshed out version of it. Yeah, it, it feels like the abstraction of space causes a lot of the complexity of like more earthbound uh, type strategy games to fall away. But nothing comes in and replaces it. It's like we just imagine raw, unfettered capitalism and colonialism without any <laughs> like historical movements or trajectory or friction with those concepts. Uh, endless. Well, we've spent half this podcast saying how like how many things are similar between this and Endless Legend, but how much better they are in yeah. Endless Legend um, than than they are here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's an odd, uh, it's in an odd place. And I hope that, look, I hope that Endless Space 2 gets, uh, you know, a good expansion that starts like maybe injecting some of this badly needed color, uh, back into the game. Um, but I'm really concerned after this Galactic Statecraft update, uh, that the diplomacy in particular is still so inscrutable and still basically an optional feature. Uh, because it's so weakly in implemented. Uh, so yeah, uh, endless space two we've has kind of shrunk in our estimation. Now this is this is really surprising to me because like I was pretty excited to come back to this one and I've had fun puttering on my empires, but uh, in terms of my assessment of it as a game, I've just this has been a bit of a bummer. Um, 
No getting around it. Yeah, I mean, it might it might just be that this is the peak of this formula, because, again, I would say who's doing it better. The the master of Orion like space 4x game, you know, the only the only game I can point to that is doing better is Stellaris. And, and that is in virtue, I think, of breaking out of the kind of master of Orion formula in that it's, you know, possible real time and they have kind of a different set of goals uh, on some level. So maybe it's just time to move on from the master of Orion template. I'm, I'm there with you. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling it ready for that evolution, uh, ready to check out the, uh, the, the big Stellaris update uh, when it, when it comes out, but endless space two, uh, I think I'm probably putting it back on the shelf until, uh, un- until some pretty significant revisions are made. Uh, anyway, uh, that will do it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Uh, Three was ahead is produced as always by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the idle thumbs network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at 3 or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Uh, finally, 3 is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. This topic in particular was brought to you uh, by our Patreon backers during our monthly topic vote. Uh, you can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of 3 Ahead. Uh, until then, for Luke Plunkett and TJ Hafer, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. <laughs>